in the middle of a pair of prakim that are a team. That is chapter four and chapter five, which go together. And chapter four and chapter five are the story of Devorah. And they are, um, they're a team, they're a pair, they're a sequel. Chapter four we did before we had a break and chapter five we're gonna to do today. But it's important to understand that the two of them are um, two halves of a whole. The, what, you, what we didn't understand in chapter four, chapter five will explain, although it is a poem. And chapter five explains some things, you know, that are not related to it all in chapter four. It's a very, it's gotta be studied together. It's a little bit of a shame to have such a big break in between. So what I'd like to do is sort of um, review very briefly the story, and then we'll, we'll go into the shira and, and do the best we can with it. Now I sent you, one second, I'm gonna share screen. Okay. I sent you the, uh, the outline of Shears Devorah, I'm actually really thinking that I have to revise it. Not exactly, it's not exactly uh, correct. I keep uh, thinking that, well, this passage should be with that passage. But what I wanted to do is, because it's a long parak, it's 31 psukim, it's kind of impossible to go through the whole thing because if you look at each particular pasuk, we could just spend an hour on every pasuk. There are so many interpretations and understandings and midrashim, and you could really, really spend a lot of time on it. And because it's poetic, because you know the Hebrew is very sophisticated, I didn't feel uh, I like to do a parak a time, and I didn't feel that we should spend so much time on the psukim. We're going to do our best. But I did want you to see the themes because that's really the most important takeaway from Shiras Tavora. Okay, so let's just begin with this, um, the, the basic understanding here of Shira. What's a Shira? So when an event occurs that's totally miraculous, like the victory over Sisra, something that's against nature, shouldn't have been that way, then the shira is a, uh, a bursting forth of expressions of gratitude and joy and, you know, talking about the miraculous nature of the event and celebrating God's victory. Interestingly enough, Parakeh, this chapter that we're gonna to do today, is the Haftorah for Parshas B'Shalach, which is when we do Az Yashir. That's called Shabbat Shira. And the Shira is also as Yashir, which is, you know, Moshe singing and, and praising a Baruch and of course, Miriam and the women. And at the same time, Deborah celebrating uh, the great victory. So it's important to understand that that is a super um, intense expression of gratitude and joy. As a matter of fact, I'll just give you for uh, comparison's sake, when Chizkiyahu, when Chizkiyahu 
uh, has the miracle that happens, you know, this is much later in Jewish history, when um, Sanchev lays siege to Yerushalayim, and the king is Chizkiyahu, is a big tzaddik, and Hashem makes a great miracle, and he wakes up in the morning, and they're all dead. 185,000 of the Assyrians are all gone. And the Chazal say that Chizkiyahu should have should have um, sung Shira, and if he had, then he would have been Mashiach. It was a big mistake of his not to express his gratitude to Hashem in a Shira. It's a very interesting thing. This is a very great thing, and I would call that definitely our first life lesson. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu does something for you, small or big, it is appropriate, it is appropriate to thank God liberally and often, and always say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did this for me, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did that for me. We tend to be very, um, you know, Western in our thinking, and my, you know, oh, I, that was clever of me, or that was good of me, and that's really what the Torah calls, I'm so great, I'm so terrific. But we have to always remember to attribute all of our victories to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say it out loud, and, and even say it to people who are not religious. It's okay if you could say to them, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did this great thing for me. This is really the most important takeaway from the Shira. Understand the uh, expression of gratitude to God is a great thing. We have uh, Tehillim, Kuf, Zion, the four people who thank God, right? The, uh, the idea of benching Gomel. The idea of thanking God is just number one, number one takeaway. Now, first of all, anyone's going to say that this is a question of uh, Kolisha. It's really not a question because this is what Hashem told, put into her mouth this great inspiration. And um, it's a tremendous, uh, great thing that she does. And who is considered probably the greatest shofetess, the, the greatest, like, because she's a prophet and she's a leader. And um, I always find it interesting, you know, um, my father used to say, that like, it's, you know, the Torah, the Tanakh takes, you know, women heroine, you know, she's pretty matter of fact, pretty, it's pretty matter of fact. You know, the Torah is the great Nabiya and she does these great things. Okay, so let's take a look at the text. Now, if you see, this is my, always where it's divided up. And because the nature of the Shira, there is no divisions here. There are no divisions. So I gave you the division. Do you see that in, in a text, um, you're going to find it in the, uh, in the way uh, of a Shira, like, a, you know, the different levels and, and, and bricks. But we won't spend time on that. Now, this. It's, there's so much here that I'm just going to have to talk really fast, and I hope that you'll follow with me and we'll cover what we can because there's like a ton of tremendous stuff in here. Pasuk Aleph, Matasha Devoru Barak ben Abinoam Bayoma Hulebor, and Devoru sang, and Barak also the son of Abinoam on that day. So, in in Hebrew, the verb the verb goes to the main person. In other words, Az Yashir Moshe. Ubene Israel. Yashir there is singular and masculine because it's Moshe, and the children of Israel sang with him. Here it's Devorah who's the main singer, so to speak, and Barak gets second play. Now, 
Hazal talk about Barak. So just to recap, back in chapter four, Devorah, who is this great prophetess, who, who is, you know, the judge, she judges under her palm tree, and the children of Israel come to her judgment. This is a, an indication that she is, she's totally accepted and understood that she's greatest of the age. And when she calls Barak, who of course, according to Hazal, is her husband, he, she's from Ephraim, by the way, and he's from Naphtali, and he's up north, if you have here, here's a map of this war, right? The, the, the Canaanim are making their last stand, right? They're trying to uh, regain control of Israel, and the northern, particularly the northern area, gathers together in a place called Karosh HaGoyim, which is north of the Jezreel Valley, and Naphtali is over here. Barak is from Kedesh Naphtali. And she says, come, and she's in Harifrain, which is a little further south. If we look at, oh, I have another map. Yeah, that's better. It's in English. And you see that she's in Harifrain, she's down here, and she calls him and he comes and she says, God tells you to take 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zavulin and go up to, uh, Hartabor and Hashem is going to bring you uh, Sisra and you're going to have victory over him. And his response is, if you recall, if you go with me, I'll go. If you don't go with me, I won't go. So this is kind of a controversial thing. What does he mean there? But um, many of the Russian take this to mean that he recognized that she was the greatest person of the age. He recognized that he needed her to have this victory and he wanted her to get the credit. It was, he was a very humble person. So you can, you know, people will say, well, you know, he wouldn't have gone without her, but he wanted, he felt that she was so great that it was important to have her schut with them. And the, uh, the Medrash Rabbah says, because of his humility, he participated in the Shura. This was his reward. And it's very interesting because, you know, generally speaking, I don't want to be sexist here, but guys like to have the top building. <laughs> and he was willing to give it to her. So this is a great, uh, a great thing that he does. Now, Masik Bet, So this is a sort of uh, historical uh, telescoping of the story of, uh, of this particular battle. When the children of Israel had these pra'ot, now pra'ot can mean a number of things. And this is what I mean, right? We cannot sit over every word because it's like, does it mean when there were wild disturbances, when, when uh, you know, there were disturbances from the enemy, Rashi says there were breaches in their defenses. And then there's the idea of puranut, when there's a punishment in Israel. When the children of Israel volunteered, right, then, Baruch Hashem. Praise God. Now, Baruch Hashem is going to be what we call in Hebrew, Mila Mancha. She's going to keep saying Baruch Hashem, praise God, praise God. And this is an imperative, right? Everybody should praise God. That's definitely our first takeaway. Praise God, these tremendous things happen. So basically, this is a synopsis of the whole story. When there were all these disturbances, the children of Israel came forward volunteering to help and Praise God. Everyone should praise God for this wonderful thing. 
פסק ג', שמם לכם, האזינו לאוזניהם, אנוכי לשם אנוכי השירה, אז אמר לשם אלוקי ישראל. So this is the sort of thing that we see in Hazinu, calling people to witness that I am going to sing to God, and a, a, a zemer is another kind of uh, praise, right? And there's twice Anochi, Anochi twice, the very beautiful medrash here, I'll give you very briefly, that when Hashem wanted to give the Torah, Har Carmel and Har Tabor, wanted God to give the Torah on them. They were tall mountains. And in the end, Hashem gave the Torah a little Har Sinai. So Har Carmel and Har Tabor were both sad and embarrassed. And Hashem said, I'll pay you back double. So here, Har Tabor gets twice Anochi, Anochi, like the Aserah Dib wrote, oh, but, but Har Tabor gets twice. And Har Carmel, in the time of Eliyahu, when the Jews Uh, when they see the demonstration of Eliyahu and they say Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim, so they get, uh, Har Carmel gets the double, the uh, double embrace. Hashem gives everyone their, their reward. Now, Devoe is going to go back to Har Sinai. We see over here that Anochi, Anochi is already a hint to it. Pasuk Dalit, Hashem b'tseischem yiseyer. Now, these are two references to areas near Sinai. Eretz for Asha, the land quake. The skies dripped and the clouds dripped water. So here we have a connection to Sinai, a connection to that uh, tremendous moment in Jewish history. And also we have a hint of what's coming that the victory over Sisra happened in great measure by water. So Pasuk um, is a continuation of this idea. Harim Hashem Hashem The mountains, Nizila uh, is like a leak, and the mountains dripped before God, in Sinai before Hashem, the God of Israel. Nations in the world trembled with fear at the time of Matan Torah. She's harking back to that time, right, when Hashem fought for the Jewish people and took them out of Mitzrayim and did all these miracles and gave them the Torah. And now we're, we're going back to that. She said, this is the greatness of Jewish people. And this was our, um, well, if you look at the, the outline I gave you, Right, this is the first idea. We're going to now move to the second, second part of the Shira, which is going to be a historical discussion of what went on that brought us to the place of this war. Okay, and um, I think this section we'll call it Bab Zayin Chet. I think, yeah, it's. It's complicated to try to divide up the Shirat. It's not so simple. Okay, but let's try Vav. Okay. Here we have a very strange thing that's going on. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anat, and the days of Yael, remember Yael is the one who killed Sisra, right? In their days, people stopped going in caravans. And the people who went on the path went on crooked paths. 
what does this mean? So we have a couple of questions here. What does it mean that they can't travel? And I think anyone who lives in Israel, I'm sorry to say it, but like in Hutzlar, you have the same problem. When traveling is dangerous, like those of us who lived through, you know, terrible comfort here in Israel, terrible times when, you know, you were afraid to get on a bus, you know, you still to all kinds of, uh, of things that are scary. People have fears of traveling and they go all around. This is because they're being attacked on the roads. Now, when we started Parak Dalit, okay, we didn't discuss what was the nature of the oppression. Let me just read it for you. Um, God, by him, Karem Yad Yavin, by Yitzakub and Israel Hashem. Why did they cry to God? Kitsham el Drechev, lo, he had 900 iron chariots, the Hula Chatzit Benezer Bachoskas from Turma. And he oppressed the Jewish people powerfully for 20 years. Now, we don't know. This is an example that I want to give you of the, the connection between chapter four and chapter five. We don't know the nature of the oppression from chapter four, but chapter five is explaining to us that the nature of the oppression was attacks on the road. It was not safe to travel. So that's a very big thing. Now, the other problem we have with Pasuk Vav is that, what do you mean in the days of Shamgar? We, we don't know much about Shamgar. And Yael, was Yael a judge? Was Yael a Jewish leader? Was Yael Jewish? There's a lot we don't know about Yael. And what is she doing together with Shamgar? So in reality, Shamgar is at the end of chapter three, he gets a one Pasuk that he also saves Israel and he kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad, which is not a small feat with a farming implement. Now, if we go take a look at the map, right? You'll see that the, Plishtim are over here on the coast. So Shamgar's uh, area of jurisdiction is south, south. Now Yael, we see in chapter four, right? In verse 11, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you have to keep going back and forth, right? Yeah, verse 11. Hever HaKeni Nifrad. So in chapter four, we find out that Hever, who is Yael's husband, has moved from the south up north to Kedesh, which is Naphtali up here. And we have it as a sort of parenthetical puzzle to let us know why Yael is up there in the north. Because the children of Yisro, who are the Cani, Kuf, you had known you had not to be confused with the Kanani, who are the bad guys here, the enemy. The Kani are allies, natural allies, they're descendants of Yisro, who was a great friend of the Jews. And they settled first in Yericho at the beginning of Shoftim in chapter 1, verse 16. We see that they move from Yericho down to live in Yehuda, and they learn Torah with Asnel ben Kanaz. And Heber separates himself from where the Kani are down south, and he goes up north, and he's going to be 
sort of what we call in, in America, Johnny on the spot. He's, they're going to be up there in the way, of course, not Heber, but his wife, and they're going to be up there. So if we look at that, then we might want to say that Shamgar is a local leader in the South, and Yael is a local leader in the North, and they have a certain area of jurisdiction, but it didn't extend itself to saving the Jews from this peril that they were in whenever they traveled. So she's saying we had leaders, we have leaders, but we're still having trouble on the roads. Okay, I just want to make this note about the whole idea of the caning. And I don't know if we, I really don't remember what we said about, about Hever and the caning in chapter four, but you should know that um, they're connect, the, the Druze of today connect themselves to the descendants of Yisrael. And they are a, a group uh, unto themselves. They have certain things that are very fascinating. My husband met a lot of Druze in the, in the army. They consider themselves to be natural allies of wherever they are. So Israeli Druze are totally loyal to the state of Israel. And, uh, you know, unfortunately they have lost uh, a great proportion of their people defending the state of Israel, greater than their numbers, right? But there are Druze in Syria that are completely loyal to Syria. It's a very, very strange phenomenon. So we might, we try to figure out why did Jael do what she did? She's completely devoted to the Jewish people, otherwise she would not have done. You know, she killed Sisera, she's defending the Jewish people. It's a very strange story, but there is this nature of these people to be allied to where they are, and even though there says there, it, there was peace between the house of Yavin, who was the king, and sister is the general that we keep saying, there was peace between Hever and the house of Yavin, but somehow it doesn't seem to extend to um, Sisera. On the other hand, if we're talking already about the Kani and Yael, a lot of different explanations to how could she break a treaty? It seems as if the treaty was not such a treaty with the Canaanim, the Kani and the Canaanim. The Kani were just like laying low, but their real loyalties, which the Jewish people, which we see when push comes to shove. I did hear one explanation um, that Hever was dead. And I found that to be a very, very interesting uh, um, explanation that Yael didn't consider herself bound by any treaty that Heber had made because Heber was no longer alive. Very, very interesting story. And there's a lot more to Yael. We'll get to her soon. Okay, Pasuk Zayin. Chadlu prazon Yisrael chadelu. Achakamti devorah shakamti aim Yisrael. So prazon, if you remember Megillah's Esther, right? The arim ha-prazin, right? When you have the walled cities, so you have Shushanpur. When you have the Arim Prazim, the open cities, then they have Purim on the 14th. So you have here Prazom referring to open cities. Hadlu, you couldn't live anymore in a village or a town that was not walled, it was not safe. And then she says, until I arose. And she describes herself as a mother in Israel, which is actually fascinating. So I'm going to mention here that the Chazal do not like this. They're very down on her. They say this is arrogance. What do you think? How could you say that? But I find the interesting thing to me in this passage is she calls herself a mother in Israel. 
a mother worries about her children. A mother is concerned for her. A mother fights for her children. A mother is out there all the time. And one of the things that's fascinating about the whole story, Peridalit and Hay together, is that this is a women's story. It's not just Deborah, and it's not just Yael. In Parake, we're introduced to another mother at the end of the Parake, which I want to have time to discuss. I don't have a lot of time, but okay. So she's saying these things were going on. It was like wild out there and they couldn't settle comfortably until I arose a mother in Israel. And like a mother, she worried for the Jewish people. Now, uh, I think the leadership of a mother has some tremendous advantages, but there's a lot to discuss here, but let's go through. And I say Elohim that because this is talking about false gods, right? So I, you don't have to call this in a kadosh way. They chose other gods. Az lachem sharim, the lachem from milchama. Then there was fighting in the gates. There were no uh, shields and there were no spears in 40,000 of Israel. It's a very difficult pasuk. What's with the 40,000? But the basic bottom line is, the lesson to learn is, if you choose God, God helps you. If you choose other things, you're putting yourself, this is definitely our second life lesson. And this is one of the lessons of Sefer Shoftim in general and Jewish history in general. When we follow God, God helps us. When we go astray, God sends us to the enemies. This is exactly, right, the... Uh, where do I have that? Oh, I think I must have closed it. Oh, wow. Okay, but I sent you in, in chat the cycle of Shoftim. Whenever the Jews go astray, God gives them over to the enemies. And that's what she says, you chose other gods and then you had war. Now, Pusik Tet, the bow is now again reminding us of who has to thank God and who she appreciates. My heart is with those lawgivers of Israel who volunteer, and everyone should bless God. They should bless God. The ones who ride on white donkeys. The ones who are lawgivers. And those people who are still traveling. Talk about this. Talk about the greatness of God that he did this thing. And now she is giving honor to the lawgivers and the teachers of Torah who kept the Jewish people going in tough times. And we have to understand that one of the things, okay, um, can you see me? I'm a little blurred now. I don't know why that is. What's going on? I hope I'm not too blurry. Can you see me? Am I blurry? No, it's better now. Okay. Um, the, the land of Israel is a holy land, right? And the whole story of Yeshua, the whole Savior Yeshua that we went through is telling us that God threw out the pagans. And this is not what he wants here. We have to... Um, take a look at the examples of these evil people that we're going to see in this parak 
and learn that that's not what Hashem wants. Hashem wants us to come into the land of Israel and it's a, a holy land. Okay, now, one of the things that we have to understand from Devorah, I'm taking a short pause to, is that, and this is why she's talking about the Chokkei Yisrael and the Yoshveel Midin, she did something that the other Shokta before her and even after her were not able to accomplish. And I think that that's a tribute to her mother role. She got the people of Israel to do Teshuva. And I'm, I'm sorry I can't uh, call up my cycle now because we, we may see that the first thing is that the Jewish people sin and God gives them over to the enemies. And then I say they daven and then God sends them Yeshua. But if you look at the story of, let's say, Ehud or Ethniel, after their victory, the next thing we see is they continue doing evil. In other words, they prayed to God, they cried out to God, God had mercy, God is always merciful. But after the story of Devorah, there's a complete sea change. The Shira, and the victory have brought the Jewish people to a place of true tshuva. And that's why chapter six, which we'll do next week, chapter six starts with bayasu hara. They did evil. In other words, evil stopped for a time. Tshuva really worked with Deborah. And she's thanking all the Torah teachers. There is a medrash, which I think I showed you at some point, that says the problem with Shoftim at the beginning of Sefer Shoftim, was everyone, oh, I've got my nachala, right? I'm going to cultivate my garden. And uh, no one was taking care of the people. You have to go out and you have to teach and you have to bring close. Otherwise, people just go off. Very sad. Okay, now, a lot of uh, poetry here. Pasuk Yeral, Mikol Machatzasim Ben Mashavim, Shem Yitanu Tzidkot Hashem, Tzidkot Pirzanov Yisrael, Az Yadul Hashemim Am Hashem. From the voice of the archers among the water drawers, then we will um, talk, to, uh, tell over the, the virtue of God and the, the tzedakah of the Perzon that he helped these uh, unwalled cities. And then the Jews went down to the gates. It, it's a very difficult passage. Basically, we're saying that that because of God's victory, we're not hearing the noise of the archers who were attacking people who drew water. Now we're hearing the Jews going out to the gates and um, they are free to return to their unwalled cities. Now, Pasekid Bet, out of the blue, we get this Uri Uri Dabora, Uri Uri Dabrishir, Kumbarak Ushvesha Bichaben Abinoa. Arise, arise, Dabora. Arise and speak the song, get up Barak and take your captives, son of Abinoah. Now, Rashi here says, Lashon Pshad is, she's just saying, oh, you know, let's sing songs and let's praise God for this great victory. And a rabbi said, because before she had called herself and they said that was Gaiva, she lost her Ruach HaKodesh. And now she's trying to get it back, ooh, ooh, Devorah, like, that was her punishment. A great person, a great Navi, who, uh, who sins in that way, who takes credit for herself, who, uh, you know, 
that she loses that Ruach uh, HaKodesh, um, and now she calls it back. Yeah, Barbanel has an interesting take on this. He says it's sort of like a husband-wife thing, you know. Barak is saying, come on, Barak, come on, more Shiraj, you go do your taking prisoners. <laughs> it's very, it's an interesting Barbanel. But the shot is that she is calling out for a song. Now, it's interesting that Shlomo Akabetz in Lachadoti takes this, right? And he says, Uri Uri Shirdaberi, Kavod Hashem Alayach Nigla, in Lachadoti. And he takes it from here and he connects the singing of the Shira to Geula. So that is a very beautiful thought. And that's one of the things that we get from here. Okay, more difficult. Um, well, the remnants, the remnants came down, of the brave ones, and Hashem ruled over these brave ones. It's very interesting, you know, the, uh, the Malbim says part, this first part is referring to Ehud. He went down among the brave ones. And the second part is to Borah. But the basic idea here is that God is helping those, right? And who want to rule over us and giving us strength. Now, Pasuk Yudalad starts a whole keta, a whole discussion here. And in the outline I showed you here, uh, the call to others to praise Hashem, the rebellion, the beginning of the battle. We're up to section five. Those who came to the war versus those who did not. This is a very important element of the Shira. And we're going to see how this plays out through the whole Sefer Shoftim. One of the biggest problems with the time of the Shoftim is the lack of unity. We see this refrain in the last five chapters. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was good in his own eyes. And that is actually a very big problem because, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. So now Deborah does something. Uh, she's not afraid to come forward with her criticism. And she's like, you know, whoever came to help, she's going to tell you these people came to help. Whoever did it, she criticizes them. Don't think that because you live over there or you're not, that you can uh, take yourself out of the, of the claw. You're part of the claw. So what happens here, Pasuk Yedalad, Mini Ephraim Sharsham Ba'amalek, Acharecha Binyamin Ba'amamecha, Mini Machir Yardu Mechokim, Umizvulun Moshchim B'Shevet Sofer. Again, poetry, difficult language. Mini meaning from. From Ephraim, whose roots are in Amalek, what does that mean? So it seems that Ephraim here is referring to Yeshua because he was the great uh, leader from Ephraim. And he first fought Amalek back in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. And afterwards, Binyamin also fought Amalek. In, in, in uh, the story of Ehud, we have Ehud is from Binyamin. And also we have the idea of Shaul later on. Machir is one of the children of Menashe. They came down, and Zvulun were some of the heroes here, even though they had their uh, scribes and they had their business to take care of, they anyway came to the battle. So these guys, if you're looking at, you're checking off the good tribes. Ephraim is good, that's her tribe. 
you know, Benjamin is good, Menashe, the son, uh, Machir is good, Zvulun is good. Now the offices of Yisachar were with Zabora or with Barak. These guys are good guys. Those people are big. And they went out to war if necessary. They went out and the valley sent off whatever Barak told them to do, they did. But in the, in the camps, right, of Reuve, there were a lot of heart burnings, huh? Why are you there in your borders, listening to the, the, the whistling of your flocks in the camps of Rubain? There was a lot of heartburning. And Devoe was implying that they lived across the Jordan to avoid war, which is a, it's a great condemnation because we know that God and Rubain and half of Menashe came to fight with Yoshua as a vanguard. But she's saying, why didn't you come, Ruben, when we had this crucial battle against Sisera? Where were you? And she goes on, What's with you guys? Gilad, that's God, that's Menashe, the other half of Menashe, done in the north here. That's a discussion. We don't have time for that now. You're with your boats. Usher, you're on the shore. Where are you? And you'd fetch, she says, Zvulun. Were sacrificing themselves, Naphtali on the heights. They didn't understand that because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and a massive army, right? And Barak has 10,000 men, they go down from Hartabor. This is the charge of the light brigade. This is a suicide mission. And they followed Barak down off the heights into the danger. And they were willing to do this. They were willing to do this for the Jewish people. Now, Yetet, If you look back at the map, okay, so Tanach and Megiddo are south of the Jezreel Valley, right? Oh, Tanach, you see Tanach here, and Megiddo, right? The, the, kings of Canaan, they came to fight Persisra. They all, Betzakeh, they didn't have to get paid. They didn't have to get shalal. They weren't interested. Anything to do, no one will fight the Jews. We have no problem doing that. So they went and read. And this is the contrast to the tribes. The Jewish tribes are like, I don't know. Maybe they get along without us. I don't know. I can't leave my place unprotected. And you see the kind of no problem. Let's go fight the Jews. No, you don't have to get paid, right? They don't need any money for that. Pasikhov. And now we understand the way the, the battle unfolds. And this is, a, it's an unbelievable thing here. From heaven, they fought. The stars in their paths, in their constellations, they fought Sisra. Now, what we learn from here is that everything's up to Kashvahu. This is a completely miraculous event. And there's a lot of Midrashim here, but I want to stick to the shot as much as possible. If you take a look here, Pasikhafalov, Nachal Kishon Grafam, Nachal Kedumim Nachal Kishon, Tidrachi Nafshi Oz, 
the ancient brook, the Nahal Kedumim of Kishon, dragged them away. And my grandfather in Hebrew is a rake, right? So you have here, this is the Kishon, right? The Kishon drags all of sister's people away. And, but me, on contrast, the Jewish people, we stepped with strength, with confidence. Now, I have to go back again to Perak Dalit in order to explain this. In Perak Dalit, okay, I'll give you the quote. Um, we get a very little information about the battle in Perak Dalit. But it says by Yaham, Pasik Tetvav, by Yaham Hashem and Sisra By Yaham means he confused them. Now, we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but let me give you the short version. If you look at, I should have opened it for you, but in, go back to Mitzrayim. It's a very similar thing. It says, it's in front of me. By Yaham, it's Machane Mitzrayim. But don't forget, Paro had 600 iron chariots and Sisra has 900. He has 50% more iron chariots. But it's a similar situation because God confuses them. But what does it mean that God confused them? In Shmos, it says like this, He removed God, removed the wheels of their chariots and they traveled with heaviness. They couldn't go. Now, if you switch around, you gotta jump around here, but in Shmuel Aleph, it says, Perek Zion, persecuted, God thundered on the Pishtim in the great voice and he confused them. And over there, there's a whole medrash that Rashi brings and says, and it's brought, actually brought here also. Um, Rashi here says, in Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer, it says, every place that it says confusion, it comes from thunder, right? And this is the granddaddy, right? This is something called Binyan Av. We learn from the Av. The father of it is in Shmuel Aleph, that God thundered on the Philistines and confused them. And every other place where it says God confused them means thunder. Okay, now it's the middle of the summer. And all of a sudden, there's a thunderstorm. Now, if anyone has been outside, I remember once I was in South Africa and there was a lightning and thunderstorm. You know, you know, I don't know why in that part of the world, it was the most frightening thing. We were terrified. We found out that someone had been killed by lightning there at that time. We found that out the next day, thank God, because we would have... <laughs> it was, I was with my sisters and we were all running for, we didn't know where to go. And we're like the jagged forks in the sky, it's terrifying. And now all of a sudden, Nahal Kishon overflows its banks from this tremendous thunderstorm and the rainstorm. And now you have all these iron chariots, they cannot move because they're stuck in the mud. And the horses, Pasakapet, us homu, ikbesus, the horses, are banging their feet, they cannot move. Midaha wrote This is onomatopoeia for those English people out there. This is Daha wrote Daha wrote the sound of the horses who are struggling. They cannot get their chariots out of the mud. And that is why the river swept them all away. This was a miracle from God. The Jewish people did not do anything. Right? The, the, they would have been cream, they would have been 
completely decimated by Sisera's people, except God just destroyed their chariots with no good in the mud. And that's why Sisera himself jumped off the chariot and ran away, because he saw the chariots of no good here. So that is God's help. There is a very strange passage here, Chav Gimel. Oh, Meiroz, cursed is Meiroz, Amar Malach Hashem. Oh, Aroy Yashvat, Yilobola, Zrat Hashem, Zrat Hashem, Yibok. Very strange. Million, I can't, like the, the Shira is too complicated. We can't do too much with it. Cursed is Meiroz, is it a place? Is it a star? There's many, many Midrashim, the stars fought against Sisra. Does that mean the constellations? The star has burnt them. I don't know. Is May Rose? Actually, I think my husband's grandfather thought May Rose was Mars, connected to the star. <laughs> Interesting stuff. We don't know where May Rose or what May Rose is, but we're making a contrast between the people who came to help and the people who refused to help. And Deborah condemns them. Now she takes a, a, a time out and we go into discussion of Yael. Blessed is Yael, the wife of Heber. She keeps being said, Heber, the wife of Heber, the wife of Heber. From women in the tent, she will be blessed. Now, the mem here is tricky. Minashim, more than Nashim, by the Nashim. Now, who are the women in the tent? Sarah, Rivka, Rahalea. Those are the women of the tent. Sarah's in the tent. These are all the mothers. She's up there with the mothers. She saves the Jewish people. Let's go on. He asked for water. She gave him milk. This was with malice of forethought. Get him sleeping. This lordly vessel. She brings him butter, probably milk fat. She takes one hand and she sends it to the tent pin. And in her right hand, the, the, the hammer of the tired ones. This is like a, a strange expression, but it's all very poetic because we have the homo ikvesus. She takes that hammer the home of Sisra, and she hammered Sisra, mashed his head, and she sent this ten pin right through his temple. Havzayin is some puzzle, right? Bein ragleha kara nafal shachav. Bein ragleha kara nafal masher kara sham nafal shadud. Between her legs, literally, if you look in the translations, you don't see this. But literally, between her legs, he knelt, he fell, he lay. Between her legs, he knelt, he fell. Where he knelt, there he fell, vanquished. Very difficult person, because what the heck is happening here? If we go back to Parabdalid, it just says, right? Um, it says uh, that he died, right? He was in a deep sleep and he was because he was so tired and he died. Now, the Sofram says it's hard to imagine that a woman had the strength to drive the pen, pen, pen through his head. And how did this go? And the, the Dasmikra says, well, this is a description of his death throes, right? It's just dramatic, you know, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But the Chazal don't have a whole situation here. I'll show you. 
right? Amr of Yochan and Sheva Beimot Bala to Rasha Bota Shasha Nemar Ben Rabbe Karana Falshapa. Each one of those verbs counts for one sexual act, and so he and her had sexual relations seven times, and no wonder he was tired. But of course, other people disagree. And over here you have Rachel Lakish. I'm a Rachel Lakish. We never heard of the word smicha. It's only one place in the Tanakh, and that's chapter four. She covers him with a smicha. And he says, what is smicha? Shemiko. My name is here. My name testifies on her that that evil person never touched her. So there you go. It's a very difficult sugya. There are definitely sexual overtones in this pasuk. It's hard to get away from that. What happened in Yael's tent? We don't really know. We don't know. We'll never know. But you know, it's possible that he raped her. This is the way. You know, when you go through the discussion of who he was, and we'll see who his mother is, so you'll get a, an understanding of who he was. All things are possible here, and you have to say what. Right, you know, how do we understand that she treated him like this? What went on here? But it's I, one lesson we take away from here is don't don't mess with women. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> women rule. <laughs> this is this woman is uh, she's a woman. She uses a tent pin. The Chazal discuss it. She doesn't take a sword. She doesn't want to use a cleaver. That's one idea. She takes what's handy. I, that's how it seems to me. It's a very, very um, strange story, and there's a lot going on there. But one of the things that's particularly noteworthy in the story of Devorah is that this is a very. Um, it's an important discussion of womanhood, and we we don't we get Yael and Devorah who are heroines outside of the general mold of women's heroism and everyone in their own way but i i always say that there are no wimpy women i defy you to find me a wimpy woman right no matter what even hannah who becomes a navia by becoming a mother she's also got a story so don't tell me you know ailey that i'm a, I'm a wicked woman oh no She's also, she's also got a backbone. Now let's look at Sisra's mother. Out of the window, she was looking out and moaning the mother of Sisra. Now, Eshnav is a strange word. Like today, it's like a, a teller in a bank as an Eshnav. Like she's looking out. Of course, uh, Chazal say that she had like a crystal ball. She was doing divination. Why is his chariot late? Why don't I hear? Why are the, the footsteps of his chariot late? Okay, so I, I want to point out that the one who's waiting for Sisra is his mommy. Okay. I don't think he had a wife, just, just my own thought, okay? Because he's a really, uh, he's a creep. You'll see this. That's a cocktail. And the wise ones of her servants answer her. She says it back to herself. 
oh, she's like comforting herself with what they say. Now watch what they say. Listen, they're finding plunder. Okay, I cannot even, I can't even express how disgusting and despicable this mode of referring to women is. A womb or two, LaRoche Geber. A rechem is a womb. Like, yeah, you know, every guy's with a woman or two. Okay? Why are you worried, mommy? He's busy raping and pillaging. It's okay. And the fact that all these women can comfort themselves with the thought that other women are being abused is sickness of the Canaanim and the sickness of their paganism and their abominable practices that Devorah is giving us an insight into who is Sisra. He is a monster and his mother is a monster. If that could comfort her, she is sick and he is a monster. Understand? And that's why he has no wife. And that's why if he was in the tent with Yael, I say that it was not something that she initiated, but okay. There is suggestiveness back in chapter four, it's Surah Adonai, come, come, it's okay. But on the other hand, she gives him milk. She covers him with the blanket. These are nurturing things. These are mother things. So let's take the mother in Israel, Devorah, and the mother, the Kani, right? And let's contrast him with the mother of Sisera. Oh, it must be okay. He's probably just having some fun raping women. I guess it's all right. This is her mother of Sisera. Shlal Tzva'im with Sisera. He's getting some embroidered stuff, right? Shlal Tzva'im Rikma, embroidered stuff. Tseba Rikma time with Tzarei Shalom. He's got some great booty, some, you know, good loot that he's taking from all those people. Now, the Chazal say that she saw Sisera with red. So she thought, you know, it's, she was frightened that it was blood, which of course it was. But her people were saying, no, 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 it's red embroidery. It's not really what you think. And Lamed Aleph, Cain do kolevecha Hashem. Thus shall perish all your enemies, God. The Oavav kitsait Hashemish Vigurato. But those that love him, that is God, are like the sun coming out in full strength. And the P.S. And the land was quiet for 40 years. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about um, this story because there's a lot of very fascinating stuff here and we only have a few minutes left. But first of all, the, the satire here of Devorah is very powerful, right? She's saying, Sisra's mother is waiting for her baby boy and she's comforted by the thought that he's got a womb or two it's, it's the most degrading method of referring to women. It's disgusting. And it's okay, he's raping people. And she's telling him, yeah, this must be busy raping, pillaging. It'll be okay, he'll be home soon, right? And she's saying, well, we know where Sisra is. Sisra is dead in Yael's tent with a pen pin in his head, right? But we know that. Now, a very strange thing that I wanted to just share with you. First of all, I want to talk about mothers of monsters, okay? Chaim Guri, an Israeli poet, wrote a poem that's uh, called Emo. 
in which he describes this poor suffering mother and he's basically saying there, right, you could Google it, that this woman is brokenhearted, her son's never coming home and divorce making fun of him. Why is she making fun of him? How could she do that? And I say, this is a complete misreading of the text, which happens with secular Israelis who do not understand. Look at the text, look at Rechem Rechmatayim. Look what we're calling women here, and then come back and tell me that we should feel sorry for Sister's mother, because she's a horrible person to think, to comfort herself with the thought that other women are being uh, abused. And this is a horrible thing. And he's implying that Devoe is making fun of her misery, which is very, very far from the truth. Now, I just want to say that we know, those of us who live in Israel, right, we know that the mothers of the Palestinian martyrs celebrate their children's death by giving out candies because their sons have achieved this great goal of killing Jews. And that is who Sisra's mother is. And that is what we're dealing with. And if you look at the newspapers and you see they're giving out candy when Jews die. So we are fighting the same battle that Deborah fought. And what we should take away from that is to understand we are the chosen people, not for nothing, not for nothing, because we would never, you know, how could, how could anyone be so barbaric? And that's what Hashem wants to throw out of the land of Israel. This barbarism, this paganism, that's the sickness of, of her. I just, you know, if you give me just one more minute, um, there is something very weird about this whole thing with the mother of Sisera. And I don't know if you have uh, heard of this before. But the idea of the hundred shofar blasts, according to uh, according to the Chazal, the thirty, the hundred shofar blasts are because she cried ninety nine times. I think it's the it, it's different ways of explaining how she cried ninety nine times. But it says bechalon. I think the the gematria bechalon is ninety nine, and so we do a hundred shofar blasts to say, right. Even the sorrow of such a wicked person, we can have, you know, we can give one chauffeur blast to, to, uh, to give her that much sympathy. But otherwise, we overcome that with the chauffeur. But I want to read to you something from Gumsalabachin, which is extremely powerful. We just finished the Yavim Narayim, but it's, it's very, very, so if you have a few minutes, right? In the midst of hearing a chauffeur, Rosh Hashanah, one is not only obligated to hear the chauffeur bliss, but he must experience the jarring awakening associated with hearing Hurei Tshuva. He's talking about the idea that when something startles you and, and gives you this sound, that that's the moment when you have to be thinking of doing Tshuva. And he says it's emotional, it's not entirely, it's not a uh, intellectual exercise. It should be an emotional component to hearing the shofar. And he says, um, Rambam calls it awakening from sleep. It's the abrupt, tragic realization that the false assumptions upon me build our lives 
have come crashing before our eyes, we are jolted with the sudden awareness of the grievous extent to which our actions have alienated us from God. And in order to explain, to illustrate this principle, he tells a story, which you have to hear. On the seventh day of Pesach, I awoke from a fitful sleep. This is from Yashabar Soloveitch. A thunderstorm was raging outside. The wind and the rain blew angrily through the window of my room. Half awake, I quickly jumped to my feet. I closed the window. I then thought to myself that my wife was sleeping downstairs in the sunroom next to the parlor. I remembered the window was there open as well. She was sick. She could catch pneumonia, which in her weakened physical condition would be devastating. I ran downstairs. I rushed into her room. I slammed the window shut. I turned around to see whether she had woken from the storm or if she was still sleeping. I found the room empty. The couch where she slept was neatly covered. In reality, she had passed away the previous month. The most tragic and frightening experience was the shock that I encountered in that half second when I turned from the window to find the room empty. I was certain that a few hours earlier I had been speaking to her and that at about 10 o'clock she had said goodnight. I couldn't understand why the room was empty. I thought I just spoke to her. Where is she? Right. In the book of Judges, the story is told of the decisive military feat and the humiliating death of the pagan general Sisera at the hand of the Israelites. The prophetess Devorah portrayed the mother of Sisera waiting at the window for her son's return. Yet although overtly anticipating her son's triumphant return, in a deep recess of her heart, Sisera's mother tragically sensed that this time he was never coming home again. Tosfot says, we have to hear a hundred shofar blasts in Rosh Hashanah to parallel the hundred cries of Sisra's mother as she waited in vain at that window. Why does the story of a pagan mother awaiting her barbaric son form the halachic basis for the required number of shofar sounds? Because upon hearing the piercing tones of the shofar, we should experience that emotion we should awaken from spiritual complacency. We must witness our own illusions relentlessly shattering. I'm sorry to keep you, but I think it's just such a powerful story. Understanding the relevance of Sisra's mother to the chauffeur blasts and that deep down she knew that he wasn't coming back. I want to say one more thing and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. And that is to me, one of the lessons we learn here is the Mida Kenegid Mida. God's justice is exquisite. This man, this monster who treated women like nothing, like vermin, he is destroyed by a member of the sex that he despised so much. And that is the greatness of God. This whole story, Devorah and Yael, contrast strongly with the motherhood of a person like Sisera's mother. It's a very, very powerful lesson in what is a woman to be inspired by and what is a woman to be nauseated by. And that's, that's really, it's a lot. I, I know I gave you a lot in this shiva. It's very, very 
uh, complicated issue. I tried to get it all in there. It's very, very, very dramatic. And there we have 40 years of quiet. Devoa was the one who, of all the shotzim, brought the Jewish people back to true tshuva. And there's peace and quiet for a certain amount of time. 